This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. It is Friday, September 16th, 2022. Happy Friday and welcome in to the Guy Benson Show. I'm Guy Benson, your host, Fox News contributor, townhall.com political editor. And we are here together every weekday from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on the radio and around the clock for free on demand on our podcast. After the show's over, the entire show becomes a podcast and it is free always. GuyBensonShow.com. That's our website, GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Lots of ways to listen live, of course, as we air between 3 and 6 Eastern. We do recommend that. Our great affiliates across the country, the live stream, Fox Nation, Odyssey.com, A-U-D-A-C-Y.com. You've got options. Here's our lineup today on the program. Dagan McDowell, later this hour. Have a lot to talk about with her, our Fox colleague. Then in the next hour, Brandon Judd, who's the president of the National Border Patrol Council. He'll be back on the show. We'll be talking a lot about immigration today, obviously. Steve Ducey, our colleague at Fox and Friends, he's here out with a new cookbook with his wife, plus some very exciting family news on the Ducey front. We'll talk to him about that. And it's Friday, so it's time for Fridays with Kat. Kat Timp will be here in our happy hour, the final hour. As she is freshly returned from her honeymoon, I would imagine we might get some details on that, among other topics. As we begin today, we start, as we did yesterday, on the topic of illegal immigration and the border crisis and this stunt from Republican governors. And it is a stunt. I fully concede that it's a stunt. It's a very successful stunt, in my view, in which these Republican governors have been bussing Illegal immigrants crossing the southern border to various sanctuary cities. New York City, Chicago. Originally, the first stop was D.C., and they're still coming to D.C. And we have seen meltdowns in those cities from the leadership. A city councilwoman in D.C. saying, they're trying to turn D.C. into a border town. Sort of, just a a tiny fraction of it, but yes, that's the point. Mayor Lightfoot in Chicago calling the governor of Texas unchristian, un-American, racist for sending migrants to her sanctuary city. Right? They brag about how progressive and enlightened and welcoming they are as a sanctuary city. And then the bluff is called. They are given a little preview of the consequences of their preferred policies And they go off with all the typical epithets. And then, of course, Mayor Lightfoot quickly put a bunch of those migrants onto other buses and shipped them to other towns in the more conservative suburbs. Is that unchristian? Is that un-American? Is that racist, Mayor Lightfoot? Is that, in fact, 
human trafficking. This is the other moronic talking point that we're getting from the left. These Republican governors are human traffickers. This is human trafficking. Corinne Jean-Pierre at the White House today called Governors Abbott and DeSantis smugglers. <laughs> the Biden administration has been shipping illegal immigrants all over the country for, what, a year and a half? Hundreds of thousands of them. A bunch of them get caught deliberately, processed and released, bust and flown to the cities of their choice, courtesy of the taxpayer. That's a real thing that's been happening throughout the Biden administration. It's like these people have absolutely no idea that this is happening. Well, that's different. Why? Why is it different? What about the flights coming in the middle of the night? We heard that in Florida. It was happening in New York, Westchester County Airport. Middle of the night, unannounced flights. Was that human trafficking? Was that smuggling? Just a clown show. These people are unserious, ridiculous human beings. They don't care about actual human smuggling. They don't care about actual human trafficking. The people responsible for those criminal enterprises are the drug cartels. When I was down in Texas at the border with Texas officials explaining what they were trying to do just to partially handle what was coming across the border directly because of Biden administration policies, one of the things that I learned and shared with you here is that the drug cartels are making an estimated $100 million a week in human trafficking alone. They are doing booming business with these record numbers because the policies enacted by this administration incentivize illegal immigration. The magnet is on. They are coming. The traffickers are getting rich. Women and girls are getting raped along the way. Frequently. It is awful. People are dying. People drowning in the river. Migrants cooking to death in the back of that tractor trailer. Remember that? That was like half a day of some news coverage, and then on we went. But you send 48 migrants to Martha's Vineyard, the playground of the rich leftist elite. And like every news organization deploys a journalist to go cover the crisis, the horrible, awful crisis caused by Ron DeSantis. And you get roughly that number of people dead in a single event because of these cartels aided and abetted and incentivized by the Biden administration, and it's just sort of like, oh, well, that's a shame, if they mention it at all. It is so transparent. The goal of the left and the Democratic Party and much of the media has been to deny the existence of a border crisis or just simply ignore it. The talking point went out, the border is secure insultingly, laughably, provably false. They say it over and over and over again. And you've got the border state governors, Texas and Arizona in particular, saying, please, we are overrun, we are 
overwhelmed. This is a massive humanitarian crisis. We have these little border towns pushed well beyond the brink. You've got a national security and public safety component. You've got fentanyl and the drug issue. This is completely out of control. We are blowing through all previous records. We don't have enough places to process these people or to keep them. It is out of control. And you have a bunch of blue city mayors and politicians from blue states sitting around in Washington, D.C., filing their nails, looking down toward the border like, well, Let's just not think too hard about that. We're compassionate, unlike Trump. Congratulations to us. That has been their attitude. They will occasionally show up to scream at Border Patrol when they get smeared with the whole whipping thing. Then they go silent for 10 months or whatever it's been. And now here's another chance to attack political enemies. So they're back at it. And just radio silence in the interim. As the crisis rages, because they don't care. But all of a sudden, they are extremely angry and offended. They start dropping words like inhumane and cruel. Words that absolutely apply to the situation at the border that they don't give a crap about unless they have an opportunity to attack politically, which is what they're doing right now. It's a chance to go after the usual Republican bogeyman, although isn't it interesting? Greg Abbott got some flack, some criticism from the left when he pioneered this, starting with D.C., New York was next, then Chicago. As I said, the city officials all took the bait and I think validated the stunt. He's like, here's a little tiny bit of the border crisis to you, and they went crazy. But it didn't really become a national story and an outrage until Ron DeSantis, who they really hate, got involved. And he sent less than 50 illegal immigrants to Martha's Vineyard, which is sort of like the embodiment. If you could pick a place that represents cloistered, wealthy elitism, it would be Martha's Vineyard. And that was a bridge too far. Is nothing sacred, Ron? Really, Martha's Vineyard, a sanctuary destination, by the way. And I have been treated on social media to a bunch of leftists, and by the way, they are really angrier than usual, coming after me for making, I think, completely fair, accurate points. But they're all out there congratulating each other. Look at how welcoming they actually were. This has backfired on Governor DeSantis. Because what he showed is that we actually do live up to our values. And there is no hate in this home. And no person is illegal. Not in Martha's Vineyard. Well, guess what? They're gone. They're already gone. They had a little slumber party. Everyone got to do a big, look how great we are, virtue signal festival for, what, less than 48 hours. And they're already gone. And they all put videos out of... The people in Martha's Vineyard hugging the migrants as they got on their buses to wave goodbye. And okay, thank God they're gone. And by the way, good on the people who offered their homes and beds and all of that to these people who showed up on their island. I'm not taking anything away from them. I am curious how long the hospitality might last if the the migrants rather were to stay there for a period of time, not one day. For example, 
And it's like, it's like they sort of like now dusted their hands. They're washing their hands of this being like, look, we passed the test. We proved that Ron is bad and that we are good. Well, the real test would be how about another plane full of 50 today and then another one tomorrow and then another one the day after that and then another one the day after that. How would that go over given the freak out that we just saw and the migrants already off the island in military custody now in Massachusetts? How would that go? Our colleague Bill Malugin, with new technology that Fox has, these infrared cameras, he video today, literally just today, they witnessed three large groups of illegal immigrants crossing into Eagle Pass, Texas, numbering approximately 500. 500 people, one crossing, one day. 10x what they had in Martha's Vineyard. And that is normal. That is life as usual at the southern border. And as long as it was the government and the taxpayers of Texas having to deal with it and Arizona and the federal government sort of quietly shuffling these migrants all over the country because compassion or whatever, people were more than happy to approve of or at least ignore that status quo. Someone else's problem. We get to get... We get to feel good about ourselves. Someone else deals with the problem, and we are just the better people. That's been the mentality. The fact that you've got people dying, drowning, being sexually assaulted, trafficked, little kids dehydrated in the desert, criminals being caught and not caught. Every single day there was a twice-deported murderer caught today all of that stuff an actual humanitarian crisis cruelty inhumanity they had nothing to say about it day after week after month after year they don't care they only cared when people that they hate not the cartels republicans started to force them to look at what they have done and what the consequences of democratic policies are And then they lost their minds and truly believe that they're the good guys and the Republicans are the bad guys. You do not get to lecture anyone on cruelty when you have been tacitly or explicitly supportive of the policies that have caused the crisis in the first place. Millions of illegal crossings. Close to one million gotaways since this president took office. Then you turn around and talk to us about cruelty when you won't say a word about the devastation that's happened from a very safe distance, I guess, down there for others to deal with. Give me a break. You have zero moral standing. And the Martha's Vineyard adventure, again, I think is so telling. You get DeSantis and one of their favorite sort of elite playgrounds involved. And it's like national crisis in which the villains are predetermined GOP bogeymen who had the audacity to, yes, use a stunt to force the people responsible for the failures who have been lying about those failures and 
looking the other way for a year and a half to actually confront and grapple with those failures. That apparently is the grave moral crime in all of this. Absolutely not. And they're gone. Those, those 48 migrants in Martha's Vineyard lasted less than 48 hours in that very privileged little enclave. And yet the crisis trudges on brutally at the border every hour. We have a lot more to say on this. We have some sound. Ron DeSantis firing back earlier. President Biden now getting in on the act. This guy has a lot of gall to say anything. We'll get to all of that coming up on The Guy Benson Show. The Guy Benson Show. More next. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. We're committed to fixing the immigration system. Instead of working with us on solutions, Republicans are playing politics with human beings, using them as props. What they're doing is simply wrong. It's un-American. It's reckless. I'm Guy Benson. That was President Biden last night in D.C. Raging against Republicans, playing politics, using human beings as props. Wrong, un-American, reckless. I don't want to hear one word from this man about the border crisis. Not interested. Unless he's going to come out and say, I've gotten it wrong. All of the lawlessness and death and suffering and rape and all of the things that we have invited and incentivized, we are going to change our policies. We're going to go back to policies that were working. We're sorry. If that's what he's going to say, I'll listen. If this is the type of thing he's going to say, this garbage, no interest. If you want to talk about incentivizing human trafficking and smuggling, here's the smuggler-in-chief, Joe Biden. And what he's mad about is that some Republican politicians in the opposition, overwhelmed and desperate after a year and a half plus of this, that they are highlighting the outcomes and consequences of his policies. He went on cut two. Listen to this. And we have a process in place to manage migrants at the border. We're working to make sure it's safe and orderly and humane. Republican officials should not interfere with that process by waging a politi- these political stunts. They have a process in place to manage migrants at the border. How's that going, Joe? What are we, over 3 million illegal crossings on your watch? Almost a million known gotaways? The cartels basically running the border? U.S. officials saying they've lost operational control. Oh, we've got a process, guys. Stop interfering, Republicans. Absent Republican interference, things would be far worse. Dagan McDowell coming up. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. (laughs) 
His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. The Guy Benson Show. Thank you for listening. GuyBensonShow.com, our website. Podcast always free. With us now, Dagan McDowell of the Fox Business Network and Fox News Channel. She appears daily on Mornings with Maria on FBN, and we love having her here. I was on yesterday on TV with her from Los Angeles, and now she joins me from New York as I'm in D.C. here on the radio. Dagan, great to talk to you. Great to talk to you, and I'm your friend. Absolutely. In fact, we have another one of our friends, Kat Timp, later in the show, and we were all recently overseas together. So we're having like a little radio reunion in some ways. I'm not good enough to be her warm-up, so (laughs) (laughs) So, not even that. Dagan, I want to ask you about economic stuff, inflation as well. But first, I opened the show on immigration and this big fight that's happening right now. And honestly, I'm just blown away by the seething anger on the left, having their own policy failures thrown in their faces and forcing them to look at what they're doing and get a taste of what they're wreaking at the southern border. And they like they can't process it. They are very angry. They are furious. They truly Mm -hmm. seem to believe or at least they're saying that the bad guys here the, the villains are the Republicans, as usual, and they're the good guys. And I just don't necessarily think that's how this plays for a bunch of people who have been ignoring this humanitarian crisis that their policies have caused for the last two years. The Democrats have been embarrassed by Governor Abbott, by Governor, Governor DeSantis, and this is their only outlet albeit they're hysterical and off base, but it's the only outlet for that embarrassment and their rage. They've gone both hyperbolic and hypocritical. Yes. And so for I love how the word the words human trafficking all of a sudden start coming up and every Democrat is using them. I don't know who the first was. Um, It's just whomever got the talking points first. Maybe it was Senator Bob Menendez. Hillary Clinton called it literally, she said, literally human trafficking, moving migrants to Martha's Vineyard. I don't want to hear a word from any of these people because those migrants got a cold welcome from the people of Massachusetts. It was how it was it even 24 hours before they were moved off the island and moved to Joint Base Cape Cod. Yeah, they all got to congratulate themselves for one day of hospitality and then the problem's gone and bye bye onto the buses you go and good luck. Right. If 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 it was reversed and it was Republicans, those Republicans would have been called by Democrats xenophobic and racist for not welcoming those illegal immigrants. <laughs> well, I mean, even the, though you've got these red states that have been absorbing wave after wave after wave every single day of this stuff, and none of these people care at all about that they've said nothing about it and then you know you and i and i saw someone responding to you on social media i've gotten a bunch of responses really vitriolic responses more so than usual from lefties the last couple days because i am defending abbott defending desantis 
yeah. putting this up and they're like, you hate migrants, you're for human trafficking, you're a racist as a white person, they are going into their usual bag of we, tricks, and it's unresponsive, Dagan, to the actual angry. point. We have been angry from moment one that migrants who do want a better life are risking their lives and paying human traffickers to get here. We've been angry from day one because of the harm being done to those migrants, the 750 who've died, a border that is the most dangerous in the world, according to the United Nations. We've been angry from day one at the hardship placed on border communities and states, the financial burden put on those communities and those states, and the the thousands of people who are dying of fentanyl overdoses and poisonings. So this administration has intentionally laid the foundation for human traffickers and drug traffickers to profit from human misery. And they haven't done, not only said anything about it, the left and the Democrats, but they haven't done anything about it, and they've allowed it to happen. And now they're upset, and they're calling it human trafficking when Joe Biden was loading illegal migrants onto planes and flying them up to New York and other states under the cover of night because they didn't want to get busted. And here's another story. The only reason we know about that is because of the New York Post, because they got tipped off by the people working at the airport now at Westchester County. And Lawrence Jones and a crew from Fox... Right, exactly. And then Lawrence Jones and a crew from Fox News went out to the airport and started following a bus of those migrants. And you know what um, DHS did? They called the state troopers in New Jersey to stop a Fox News crew from following the bus. So they were using resources from the state of New Jersey to um, prevent a news organization from reporting on the treatment of illegal migrants. They know – all their anger is related to they're embarrassed and they are have been exposed as being completely heartless when it comes to the plight of people in border communities and illegal migrants because of the policies of Joe Biden. Yeah, that that's that's it. And the thing is, Dagan, I would be willing to, you know, I see some people digging into the weeds on this particular transfer of 48 people to Martha's Vineyard and how did this happen? I'm not willing to say every single thing I think was like totally above board and perfect, but I'm also like, to me, that is missing the point. The entire point here is you guys created this. You don't want to deal with the ramifications. That's for other people to deal with. And then when people force you to deal with the ramifications of your policy decisions, then you then you lose your minds. And what I like about DeSantis is he is clearly leaning into the fight. Not only has he and Governor Abbott brought the issue of the border crisis to the fore because everyone else has been ignoring it, burying it, hoping it wouldn't become a big issue in the campaign. They've forced this conversation, and DeSantis is not uh, taking any of this lying down. Here he was just a little while ago today in Cut 35. Listen to this. the end of the day, this is a massive policy failure by the president. This is a massive and intentional policy uh, that is causing huge amount of damage all across the country, and it's all rooted in a failure 
to take care that the laws are faithfully executed and to fulfill his oath of office. And so instead of scrambling and worrying about a bunch of rich people and having 50, and oh, by the way, they already bust them out. They're gone. They said, they said we want everyone, no one's illegal, and they're gone within 48 hours. Uh, and so why not actually look at what's going on? There were more Acela corporate journalists in Martha's Vineyard today than have ever gone down to the southern border to look what's going on. Why don't you go down there and look what some of those communities have to deal with every day? I think it's such a good point about the journalists and the amount of attention paid to Martha's Vineyard when they are like practically allergic to going to the border or talking about the actual crisis itself or the reasons that it's happening. But they all go rushing up because here's an opportunity to be like, you know, outrage resistance journalist. Uh, It's it's an indictment of them. DeSantis is right to call them out. And then he also said this in Cut 36, Dagan, because the governor of California, who wants to be president, getting in on the action, he's one of the Democrats now calling for the Department of Justice to investigate or prosecute The governors of Texas and Florida for trafficking or kidnapping is what Gavin Newsom is alleging. DeSantis responded today. Cut 36. Listen. The governor of California um, sent a letter to the Department of Justice saying you need to prosecute Texas and Florida governors. And all I can say is um, I think his hair gel is interfering with his brain function. Dagan, he is very eager and happy to have this battle. Right. Why wouldn't um, Governor Newsom worry about his own state where I know at least Santa Clara County in northern uh, California uh, near uh, Mountain View, Santa Clara County is having is putting Narcan in all the high schools starting this fall because of concerns about um, opioid and fentanyl poisonings. So why didn't he worry? How does he think that fentanyl is coming into this country? Uh, why isn't he worried about that? Why isn't he worried about people who are dying trying to get into the United States? And just once, is it too much to ask for one of these Democrats to go to a funeral, uh, to shed a tear? All of the people, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, all the celebrities who live in California and Los Angeles and Hollyweird who were talking about, uh, oh, now we'll, there won't be any children in cages because President Trump is out of office. It's all nonsense. And it just shows it shows the depth of their own cruelty, to use a word from Corinne Jean-Pierre, that they for a year and a half have allowed this to happen, allowed people to die trying to get into this country, to be trapped in a tractor trailer. There were 51 people at least who died, um, who suffocated and died from um, heat exposure. Yep. Where, where were the tears there? Where was the outrage there? Yep. They died because that that blood is on the hands of Democrats, and now there were, by the way, fifty migrants that who were sent to Martha's Vineyard. There were ten times the number of illegal migrants that crossed this morning in Eagle Pass, Texas, before yep. eleven o'clock in the morning. Ten times in one morning. Yeah, maybe. Put those folks on more planes and get them to Martha's Vineyard and see if they'll have a big, happy community response again. Over and over again, wave after wave, day after day, a new normal. That's what these bo- that these border communities have had to deal with. And I know people, they're, oh, they're these, like these are a bunch mom- of white people. These are xenophobic white people. Some of the people most angry about this, Dagan, are, are, are Hispanics. Are yes, living at the border because their communities are in complete chaos. 
from this. And and they don't want to grapple with that. They don't want to think too hard about any of it. And whether You're it's gonna... Newsom in California, or I saw a statement, the governor of New Jersey, Phil Murphy, just put out a thing about how outraged he is yeah. uh, at, at DeSantis and Elizabeth Warren saying it's uh, repulsive. How about Gavin Newsom? How about the, the blue state? Democrats all get together and they say, "Okay, we're going to just rotate every month. We will take the entire population of illegal immigrants that come across the border. It'll be California's turn next month. Then it'll be New Jersey after that. Then it'll be Illinois after that. Uh, If they are so compassionate and welcoming and so angry at Texas and Arizona and Florida, then open up your arms and put your money where your mouth is. All they have to do is get in front of a microphone and say, Joe Biden, it's time we need to secure the border. It's time that we need to close the border, and you need to do whatever it takes. Well, and they don't want to do that. Been, but they've surreptitiously been trying to do this. They just don't want to wear it on the outside. Again, um, coming to an agreement with the leader of Haiti to, in order – like standing up instead of for free elections, saying, hey, will you take some of the migrants from Haiti back into the country or talking to Mexico and saying, hey, can you take some of the migrants back under Title 42, even though the Biden administration has tried to rescind it? So all these Democrats need to do is say, we're going to please, Joe Biden, re-implement Remain in Mexico, (laughs) re-implement all of the policies that close the board. They can't and they won't. They can't and they won't. That's the thing. Angry at Ron DeSantis about 50 migrants who were put on a plane to one of the love loveliest places, maybe not the people, but certainly the scenery, oh, it's beautiful. the loveliest places in the country. No, they, they can't and they won't change their policies because they are ideologically committed to them. But what they will do is blow a gasket when they are forced to deal with it up close as opposed to from a very far distance looking the other way or sort of clapping lightly, a little golf clap, and then back to their normal lives. Other grubby, other grubby people can deal with that problem because we're a compassionate country. This is not who we are. And then all of a sudden it starts coming to their cities, and you've got mayors losing their minds, bussing people elsewhere, New York City now threatening to bus migrants down to Florida, more human trafficking. It's just incoherent. They're talking. Well, El Paso is run by a Democrat, and they're bussing uh, illegal migrants out yeah, of the city. Hundreds of them. Yep, that's exactly oh, right. And, uh, so, but again, it's the compassion for the Latino mom who has to strap on a handgun to go into the garage because that's where dangerous, illegal um, young men are hiding. That those are the stories you hear over and over and over again. And they're going to get shellacked in the in these Latino communities all along the border. In November, you, well, they I, better. You know, the polling and the numbers show it. Yeah, they they better. I mean, because it's again, accountability is going to come one way, and it's never going to be through their own volition, and it's never going to come yeah. through the press because the press is on their side. Dagan, before we go briefly, yeah. I can't believe it's only been a couple days now since the inflation report and the celebration event at the White House on the same day. But to me, uh, the border issue is huge. Inflation is is even bigger, and what mm-hmm. the White House did stepping. Uh, in that pile with that split screen is still, in my mind, the story of the week. I called it a manure picnic. Yes. I don't know if I called it that on, on air with you yesterday. You, you did, and but I chuckled. You could not come up with a worse event at a worse time. But again, they don't care. 
inflation is a hardship for that new Fox News poll. More than three quarters of people have experienced some financial hardship because of inflation in the last six months, and they do, period, not period, care, period. And But what's going to happen, all the burden, they keep spending money, student loan debt forgiveness, the extension of the moratorium on making student loan payments, that's highly inflationary. All the burden has been put on the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve is using a blunt instrument and raising interest rates dramatically. Mortgage rates at 6% have doubled in the last 10 months. And in a highly leveraged, over-leveraged economy, that is recession. That is a deep recession. That is a lasting recession and a almost intractable recession. Mm. And you heard it from the CEO of FedEx. The global economy is entering a recession, period. Yeah, and, and that's what they some GDP have numbers that I just saw some projections for Q3. They're looking uh, worse. Um, so that's something we're going to be watching, keeping an eye on, and having Dagan McDowell back to talk about, I'm sure. Fox Business, Fox News, our friend Dagan McDowell. Dagan, thank you. Thank you, Guy. We'll be right back on The Guy Benson Show. Don't go anywhere. The Guy Benson Show. As we continue along here on the Guy Benson Show on this Friday, well, here's something. President Joe Biden, as we've talked about several times, had not given and has not given a television or on-air interview to a U.S. media outlet, like a sit-down formal interview, since before the Super Bowl in February. And we're now into the next NFL season. He had gone that entire time. More than half a year, not giving a single interview of that variety. That will at last change this weekend. Joe Biden doing apparently a fairly lengthy sit-down with 60 Minutes on CBS. That airs Sunday, and I would imagine we'll be talking about it here on Monday. There's a lot to catch up on, and I really hope that whoever is conducting the interview will obviously be polite, but turn the screws to someone who doesn't take a lot of questions in these settings ever. We sort of know his talking points. Let's see if they'll push him. I hope it's not wishing, you know, in a way that is naive. Oh, I'm not hoping against hope for that type of journalistic performance, but we'll see. But it's long overdue. It's coming on Sunday, 60 Minutes. Our coverage here on Monday on The Guy Benson Show. Another hour straight ahead. Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show. Marching forward into our middle hour here on this Friday edition of The Guy Benson Show. Thanks for being here. Our website, GuyBensonShow.com. Podcast is free every day on demand, including bonus Benson on the weekends. I'm Guy Benson. Glad to have you here. We've got a lot still to get to on today's show, including this Fox News alert. With the Dow closing down another sell-off today, 140 points in the red. The week finishing at 30,821. 
on that index. Joining us now is Brandon Judd, president of the National Border Council. We've had him here before, and boy, is it an interesting time and an interesting news cycle to have Brandon back here on the program. Welcome. We're glad to have you. Yeah, it's always good to be with you. Thank you. I'm just wondering how you are feeling watching, I guess, finally, attention being paid to the border crisis to some extent uh, beyond you know, Bill Malugin and some of our colleagues here and a handful of other outlets, usually it's just basically, you know, blackout coverage. They don't talk about it. It's off in the vault somewhere. They don't want to discuss it. That is out the window now. It is front and center, this whole issue. But the reason it's front and center is a lot of anger being directed by the media and the Democratic Party at Republican politicians for sending relatively small numbers of migrants to sanctuary communities that call themselves that. Uh, and apparently this is human trafficking and inhumane and cruel and unconscionable. And, you know, the, the whole list of pejoratives goes on. I'm just wondering, given your position, your experience, you're banging your head against the wall, trying to get attention paid to this <laughs> crisis for so long. How are you feeling as you watch all this unfold? Well, let me address first off when they when they say that it's human trafficking going on that that is the that is the ultimate hypocrisy that 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 statement just reeks of hypocrisy and the reason that it reeks of hypocrisy it was them that sent them to Florida in the first place it was it was the the, the Democrats that sent these individuals to to these other states um, now Ron DeSantis is sending them to Martha's Vineyard and he's trafficking how is he doing anything different than what they did in the first place so again that's the the height of hypocrisy now. As far as the attention getting paid, I love it. Um, I, I've got to tell you that the best spokesperson for border security has been Mayor Adams. I mean, he doesn't want to be the spokesperson for, for border security, but every single time he opens his mouth, that causes people, that causes the mainstream media to actually pick up the, the, the story. And then people hear just, just tidbits of it, and it drives them to Fox News to get the truth. And that's all we want. We just want an honest conversation. If we have an honest conversation, the American people know what's going on. They are going to push back. They want secure borders. They just don't know about it because the mainstream media continues to cover for Democrats. They continue to cover for all of their failings. Um, and border security is the main, the main one that they're, they're always covering for. When you look at polling, the American people are concerned about the border crisis. A significant majority in a recent poll, I think from NPR, said that you know there's an invasion at the southern border. When you ask Republicans versus Democrats which one will handle, which party handles the issue better, Republicans win. And I think for those reasons, they've been trying to black out the coverage and ignore this historic crisis. They're not ignoring it now. They've sort of taken the bait. They're doing it with great umbrage and self-righteousness and the sanctimony is just dripping and hypocritical and incoherent. Uh, but since you mentioned Mayor Adams in New York City, uh, if we want to have an honest conversation, <laughs> I'm not sure he's necessarily capable of that on this issue. Here's what he just said on all of this. Listen to Cut 13, Mayor Adams. Anyone who states that this administration does not have a handle on this crisis they must been, have been sleeping under a rock. The Republican Party, uh, they have created a blueprint. It's inhumane uh, for uh, the governor to uh, send uh, immigrants to Martha's Vineyard without any coordination. 
is just creating real a real crisis. <laughs> it's amazing. The chaos and the crisis is when people show up to places that the Democrats don't want them to be. Texas is fine, not so much where we live. But the start of that clip there, Brandon, was him saying anyone who doesn't believe that the Biden team has a handle on the crisis. They've been sleeping under a rock. Well, it strikes me that you pay some attention to this issue, and I wonder if you might want to respond to that. Yeah, I really do. So he makes a statement of fact, but he doesn't back it up with any actual evidence, and that's the problem. That is that is political rhetoric, and, and that's what Democrats live off of. They, they live off of trying to convince people um, to believe their words rather than their lying eyes. Anybody can jump on Fox News and see the thousands of people that are crossing the border illegally every single day. You've got the White House press secretary that says they're not just walking across the border. Again, believe my words, not your own lying eyes. And that's the problem. They don't back it up with evidence. I'm going to back it up with evidence right now. 800 deaths on the border this year alone. Prior to Biden, the previous record was 300. So we've more than doubled that. That's not humane, and that's the Democrats' fault. Um, Two million entries this year alone, another record. Um, More than a million got away since Biden has been in office. That's a record. Um, Everything that he does is continues to set records, and it just continues to destabilize our southwest border. That is not true. His statements are not true. But But of course he's going to make an open and blanket statement without providing facts because he has no facts. He wants you to believe his words rather than your own lying eyes. We need to wake up and we need to start looking at what the actions are rather than their words. Their actions must speak much louder than what they're actually saying because all that they say is nothing but lies and they don't back it up with any evidence. Brandon, I want to play for you something that we played a few times yesterday. It's a mashup from the social media team at townhall.com. Kamala Harris, the vice president on, I believe it was Meet the Press on Sunday, talking about the border being secure versus the words of an illegal immigrant who was dropped outside her home in Washington, D.C. the next day. Cut 14. There is no question that the governors of Arizona and Florida. Oh, check that. That was my mistake. It is cut 32. We're going to have two million people cross this border for the first time ever. You're confident this border is secure. We have a secure border in that that is a priority for any nation, including ours and our administration. And Vice President Harris uh, said that the border is closed. Is the border closed? Do you believe that the border is closed or is it open? It's open, not closed. The border is open. The border is open. Do you believe that all the migrants believe that the border is open? Yeah, everybody believes that the border is open. It's open because we enter. We come in. Free. Brandon, we have a minute left. <laughs> Vice President saying the border is closed, the border is secure, and then you've got an illegal immigrant saying, no, it is open. We, it's because we came in. We crossed it. Let, let me give you one more piece of evidence, which, of course, she's not going to give you. We had more deaths in 2021 um, because of dangerous narcotics that flowed across our border, our southwest borders, than in any other year previous. We're going to break that record again this year in 2022. How is that a secure border? How is it a secure border when more than a million, when a million people have been able to enter our country illegally and evade apprehension? Yep. The gotaways, that's not a secure border. Those are facts. She has no facts. Once again, political rhetoric and nothing but political rhetoric. Brandon Judd, president of the National Border Council, weighing in here on The Guy Benson Show. Brandon, thank you. Thanks, Guy. Have a good day. 
When we come back, I want to turn our attention to the election and the fight for the U.S. Senate, some analysis when we come back. I'm Guy Benson. We are back. Thanks for being here with us. We've been following the election, of course, very closely for months. And I am particularly interested in the Senate races. And there was a sense that the Senate was slipping away from Republicans over the summer. It's a 50-50 balance right now with a tie-breaking vote going to the Democrats and the person of Vice President Kamala Harris. So all the Republicans would have to do is net one seat in November and take back the majority. And the majority leader title would shift from Chuck Schumer over to Mitch McConnell. It seems like in an environment overall like this, especially given what happened last year in Virginia and New Jersey, that would be an achievable task for the Republicans. But for a variety of reasons, the conventional wisdom has been that the Democrats are favored to retain control of the Senate and maybe even expand their majority by a couple of seats. And I think that's possible. I think it's plausible. I'm also not sold on that. And just in the last few weeks, we've seen a bit of a swing back in the other direction. We talked to Herschel Walker down in Georgia this week on the show. He's had a few polls showing him edging into the lead, although I did see a Quinnipiac poll that had him down five or six. But remember, Quinnipiac statewide polls are hilariously terrible. According to Quinnipiac, Andrew Gillum was going to win the governor's race in Florida four years ago by seven points. And Andrew Gillum lost to Ron DeSantis. Quinnipiac has been, I'd say, notoriously terrible at the state level. So if Herschel Walker is trailing by five or six points, and I saw Brian Kemp in that poll was only up by, I think, one or two, I think you can probably add a number of percentage points to the Republican total, just based on recent history from that particular pollster. On top of the other surveys that have shown Herschel Walker tied or ahead. Then you look at some of the other races as well. Republicans really need to hold a number of seats. In Florida, it should not be that close, although recently a number of polls have showed a competitive race, Marco Rubio, Val Demings. The last couple that I've seen now have Rubio ahead between two and five points, which sounds about right to me. We'll see how it shakes out, but two seems a little bit on the low end of my expectation, but Rubio's ahead there. Then you've got must-hold seats in North Carolina. We had Ted Budd here yesterday. Latest poll had him up by three. That is always a very tough state in recent cycles. But even in a year like 2020, Trump won it. Tom Tillis won it. I think this is a more favorable environment for Republicans than last cycle. So I think Bud is the favorite, but taking nothing for granted there. Ohio has gotten a lot of chatter surrounding it because J.D. Vance, who also has been a guest on this show, he has been seen as underperforming. And in fairness, I mean, it's not just a perception. One survey after another in Ohio has him lagging 10, sometimes 15 points behind Mike DeWine who's the Republican governor in Ohio, who it looks like he's going to sail to reelection. 
whereas J.D. Vance looks like he's in a dogfight against fake moderate Tim Ryan, the Democrat. But in the last couple days, we've seen a couple polls with J.D. Vance now ahead by a nose in the Buckeye state. And I would also just point out, I'm not a poll truther, unskew the polls, all of that, but Ohio has had a lot of polling misses in underestimating Republican margins. Certainly with Donald Trump. The Ohio polling average in the New York Times in 2020 had Trump ahead by less than one point and Trump won by eight. So just keep that in mind. Then there's Ron Johnson up in Wisconsin. Recently here on the program, I'm heading to Wisconsin next week. I've now seen three consecutive polls showing Johnson ahead by one to four points. And Wisconsin has also had a polling problem that has overestimated Democratic support in a number of key races. So I'm just saying, as I look at some of the races where the Republicans have to hold seats, Georgia would be a pickup, but the other ones that I mentioned, Ohio, Florida, North Carolina, those would be potential holds. Wisconsin. Then you've got Pennsylvania. That's a seat currently held by Republican Pat Toomey. He's retiring. That's the Dr. Oz-John Fetterman race. Fetterman is still ahead. All the polls I've seen have Fetterman in the lead. But the margin has gone from double digits down to mid-single digits. And then a new poll today from Trafalgar has it a two-point race. Now, I would like to see more data on that. But I think that is a tightening race indisputably. And Josh Krasauer, one of our frequent analysts here on this show, just did a reporting trip on the ground in Pennsylvania, and he told us here that that was his experience and his sense of the race as well as getting tighter. If the Republicans can hold Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, I think that they are the heavy favorites to win back the Senate. If they can hold Wisconsin or Pennsylvania, I think they have a real shot at taking back the Senate, assuming the other seats that I mentioned don't change hands. Then the pickup opportunities are Arizona, Georgia, as I mentioned, Nevada, certainly in the mix. New Hampshire should be in the mix, but new survey out today showing Maggie Hassan up double digits over this person, this, this MAGA candidate that the Democrats spent $3 million boosting in a very tight primary, I think that she is probably favored to hang on to that seat, but you never know. But you go across the country, there's maybe a few dark horse races. We've talked about Washington State and Tiffany Smiley, Joe O'Day out in Colorado. You can sort of start to mix and match certain contests and say, this thing is absolutely eminently doable for the Republicans, especially if it turns into even a modest red wave sort of environment, which has been the assumption for a long time, which started to maybe shift a little bit over the summer. And the question is, are the fundamentals of this race, nationally speaking, starting to reassert themselves? And there are a number of indications that that might be the case, as now we're talking a lot about the border. We've been talking, of course, a lot about crime. That's a top issue. Inflation, the numbers that just came out this week, These are the things that benefit the Republicans because the in-party, the ruling party, has been such a failure on these things. So 
All I'm saying is, with this analysis and giving you an update on sort of this this polling picture, you can always cherry-pick certain numbers that you prefer and ignore polls that you don't like. I just think, based on the performance of pollsters in 2016, 2018 to some extent, and definitely 2020 again, there's reason to be hesitant before buying the narrative that the Democrats have this thing in the bag. And I think that there are breadcrumbs along the way suggesting that the tide might be turning back in the other direction as we get closer to November. And we'll be watching it, of course, extremely closely. And we'll, of course, be covering all of it extremely closely here. We'll be having a lot of these candidates on again, some of them for the first time perhaps on the show. And if you just want any more specific details on some of the polling failures that I've mentioned, I wrote about it this week in depth at townhall.com at the tip sheet. So you can just Google that and find it. And I'm building off of analysis from Nate Cohn at the New York Times, who is sort of blowing the whistle on this, saying, hey, there's alarm bells again about the pollsters not picking up a lot of Republican-leaning voters. Are we about to see another series of polling misses? He builds the case that it's very possible. So you can go read that piece if you like. We've referenced it here on the air. And as I said, we will be keeping tabs on it all right here on The Guy Benson Show, which returns after this break. Steve Ducey of Fox & Friends will join us next. listening to a new generation of talk guy benson we are back thank you very much for joining us every weekday right here on the guy benson show website guybensonshow.com podcast always free of charge if you can't listen as we air live we are very pleased to welcome back to the program steve Ducey, host of america's number one cable morning news show of course fox and friends he's been there for years you know him well a New York Times best-selling author. Check out his latest book with his wife, Kathy, The Simply Happy Cookbook. A hundred-plus recipes to take the stress out of cooking. This is their latest in the Happy Cookbook series. And, Steve, great to have you back. Guy, good afternoon to you. Nice to be back with you. Happy to have you. We last spoke, I think, on the air when you put out your last book in this series. What's the elevator pitch differentiating this installment from the previous ones for people to go out and buy the Simply Happy Cookbook? (laughs) Great question. You know, this is our third cookbook, and the the Happy Cookbook series uh, guy is based on a scientifically proven fact that there are certain foods that kind of trigger the nostalgia department of our brains, and when you see it or you smell it or you taste it or you see it on a menu, Uh, simply, it reminds you of something happy in your past. It could be something your mom made, your your aunt had, you used to eat at a restaurant in a town far away. Guy, what what is that food, when you see it, it reminds you of something happy? Everybody's got one. I mean, mine is my mom's pot roast that she made when I was growing up. And to this day, when I smell that, it just reminds me of back when I was eight years old and before I had a mortgage payment. (laughs) I mean, there would have to be any number of potential answers to that question. Gosh, there's a lobster roll that I eat in my favorite place whenever I go, and that instantly makes me happy. Um, There are certain things that dad would always grill 
that come to mind. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there. Sure. I think food and taste, right, one of the five senses, it makes sense that it's connected somewhere in our hard wiring to not just nourish us or taste good, but also evoke other feelings and emotions. Sure, exactly right. And so everybody's got one. Uh, and when we wrote the first cookbook, uh, we went around and people said, we love the cookbook and it's great and the recipes are delicious. But, you know, I just don't have a lot of time. Right. So if you can make things faster. And that's when we wrote uh, the the uh, Happy in a Hurry cookbook. Okay. And that came out two years ago. Then after that came out, people said, this is fantastic. It, it was uh, one of the top cookbooks of that year. And, and people then said, we love that things are in a hurry now. But can you make it even simpler? Because my life is so complicated. A, a, lot of, a, a lot of people are working at home now. They're spending more time at home. They love being in the kitchen. They just don't want to be in the kitchen all day. So we came up with Simply Happy. Uh, and, and, and the idea behind this is these are stress-free, stress-free recipes that make everything simple. Simple ingredients, uh, simple directions, and the food tastes simply delicious. And, you know, the motivation to simplify things at the Ducey house was because all three of our kids got married last year. And then they would call us and ask my wife, Kathy, for easy things to cook. And she'd say, well, have you tried this? And it's like, no, how do you do that? And she would describe it as simply as possible. And, And then also, you know, a lot of our readers of cookbooks are empty nesters. Uh, their kids have grown up, moved away, or whatever. So we we came up with more recipes that make fewer portions or smaller portions, using really easy to get stuff because the supply chain. We we have to worry about that. Um, so these recipes. Well, just are made cost, right? The cost of everything table. is up too, right? So well, I, that I'm, plays in. I am so glad. I'm so glad you mentioned that because you said one of your happy meals is uh, the the lobster roll. Oh, it's and brutal we these days. A lobster. The price of lobster, you can't afford it. You know, uh, my daughter went to Long Island, the Hamptons, uh, and stopped by a lobster place. A a single lobster roll was $48. It's crazy. So in our, uh, it is crazy. So in our new cookbook, we don't have a lobster roll, but we have a shrimp roll. And you use shrimp and you prepare it the same way. And uh, our daughter, Mary, who went to Boston College, and had a great place that she would go to for lobster roll. She helped us with the recipe. And it tastes exactly like lobster, but it is a fraction of the cost. And the key is it's cheaper and it's simple to make, but it just brings back those memories. So that is the Simply Happy Cookbook by Steve and Kathy Ducey. And it's their third in this series, very successful series, the Happy Cookbook series. And today on Fox and Friends, earlier this morning, they were doing a cooking segment. Not surprising, not out of the ordinary at all. But there was something a little bit out of the ordinary that happened. I believe we have the sound. There are a bunch of people on set, including Peter Ducey, Steve's son, of course, our colleague here as well at the White House, and his wife, who is also on air here at Fox News, Hillary Vaughn. They were part of the festivities. And then this happened. Listen. And, you know, the thing about this, and you will understand in a moment why I'm asking this, is this food is particularly good if you are really hungry. Mm -hmm. And Hillary is hungry all the time. That's because I'm eating for two. 
I know oh it. It's, it's a, a girl. girl. So just so much joy and so much information that was conveyed right there with the ultrasound of the baby. They're pregnant. They're first. Very exciting. It's a girl. So let's just take one step back, Steve, as a will-be grandfather. How does that yeah. sound to your ears? Can you Can you believe that, really? You know, uh, I've been dealing with it for a couple of weeks since uh, Peter <laughs> and Hillary broke the news to us. And you know what? As a bonus, this is something, this is value added for the folks who are listening to the Guy Benson Show and podcast. Uh, I have with me right now the expectant father, Peter Ducey, is here with me right now, Peter. And I. That, wow. You, uh, and I hope that you and Adam babysit um, that, that was not a joke <laughs> yeah so i texted peter earlier congratulating him and saying that we were so happy for both of them and immediately he starts making demands he's like well you guys are gonna babysit for us and i had to push back so i said that's fine uh perhaps we might be in the babysitting realm at some point but i would prefer it if you guys found another babysitter once the daughter is around uh, so you guys can come hang out with us, and Hillary can come maybe finally have a drink and, and all of that. And I think Peter felt like that was maybe a pretty good idea, but they live right down the road from us. They are neighbors of ours here in our neighborhood, and it was just so exciting. And, of course, this announcement had to come on Fox & Friends. How could it not come on Fox & Friends? And I did not know we had a two-for-one Ducey experience, by the way. Here on the show, this caught me off guard. I'm very excited. So, congratulations again, Peter. I'm so happy for you guys. And Steve, I can only imagine the emotions you and your wife, and now a grandchild on the way. How spoiled is this grandchild going to be? Well, you know what, guy. When when Peter and Hillary came to our house last night, uh, my wife actually presented the baby with their first baby gift. It was a sweater and it was the same bear. Since Peter was a little boy, Kathy's already always bought, you know, that Ralph Lauren uh, teddy bear that appears on t-shirts and stuff like that. Yeah. My wife actually found one for a tiny little baby girl. And oh. so uh, that is the first thing. And yeah, absolutely right. My wife said uh, this baby is going to be so spoiled. When is Hillary due? When will baby Ducey be bursting onto the scene? Baby Ducey bursting on the scene. Uh, they're in the D.C. suburbs uh, January 30th or thereabouts, 2023. Okay. Okay, so early next year. That's very exciting. Peter, I, I, since you're here, I might as well ask the question. Uh, you have a taxing and demanding job. You're at the White House asking difficult questions all the time, sometimes one of the only people really doing that in that room. Uh, sometimes you're traveling with the president, Air Force One, all over the world. There are times already where you don't get a ton of sleep based on your job description. How's that going to work as a new dad? Are you ready to go through the process of maybe losing a lot of sleep? Because that's the thing that would be tough for me. I think maybe, you know, I don't know that anything uh, work-wise prepares you to be a parent. 
Okay, so you you have some experience there, Steve. As and and you can share whatever you do want to share and and not say anything that you don't want to say. But I'm just wondering, as you are getting ready and acclimating to this idea of being grandparents, and obviously you right. love your kids, and they all you said got married in the span of just a few months last year. This is a lot of family action. You've raised these kids now. They're adults. There's a new generation coming of, you know, within the Ducey family. What parenting advice are you giving to Peter and Hillary? And and how much, how comfortable do you feel dispensing advice? Are there a couple big ticket items that you're saying, hey, this worked well for us? I I'm just curious. You know. Uh... At, at this point, we're still kind of in a, wait a minute, I, I, in my mind, I'm still 27 years old. How can mm-hmm. I possibly be somebody's grandpa? So I'm still in that department. But you know what? Um, one of the things about our cookbooks uh, guy is that they're also like a family memoir. We tell different stories. And when when the kids were all small, my wife was driving in the car, and she heard on the radio this woman who was being interviewed, and she was being asked about how she was able to get all three of her kids into the top ten, or the top five Ivy League schools. And the the mother revealed that a very at a very early age, uh, she started feeding her children fish for breakfast. And so you oh. know, fish sticks with our. Uh... With our cinnamon toast crunch there for a a, a little while. But my wife went to Costco and bought a bag of, like, cod (laughs) fillet and made them the next morning for the kids. And the kids sat there, and she said, you're not leaving. We're not going to school until you eat it so you get into Harvard. And they all sat there with the frowny face, and finally she caved, and she got out the Murray uh, French toast sticks. And, well, and, and they didn't go to Harvard, did they? I think day. it was what Villanova. You mentioned they Boston College. They they ended up okay. They ended up just fine. They they did okay. They did indeed. All right. Well, yes, this sir. is just uh, obviously a wonderful day for the extended Fox family. Steve, you've been just a, a mainstay on the channel for all these years. You have so many millions of viewers who wake up every day with the Fox and Friends family, and then Peter joining the team a couple of years ago. He's been on this show very faithfully every one or two weeks now for quite some time, where, as I've mentioned, we're neighbors now. And so just, I know you're up in the New York area, we're down here in D.C., but I'm just sending so much love and happiness your direction. Uh, Best of luck with this book. I'm sure it will do great. Again, The Simply Happy Cookbook by Steve and Kathy Ducey. And then what an extra blessing to be able to announce today on national television and then the bonus to Ducey experience here on the Guy Benson Show. Just fantastic stuff. Uh, congratulations on the book, Steve, and good luck with that, and congratulations, Peter, on the baby. Thank you, guys. We'll see you around the neighborhood soon. Thank you, guys. Sounds good. All right, that's Steve and Peter Ducey here on the Guy Benson Show. We've got a break. We'll take it real quick and come right back. Stay with us. Guy Benson will be right back. Back with all of you here on the Guy Benson Show. That was just delightful with the Deuces in the last segment. I didn't know Peter was going to be there. Uh, but what an exciting day for their family and 
sharing that news with all of us. Meanwhile, back to politics. We talked earlier in the show with Dagan McDowell. And if you missed that, we're actually going to replay a little bit of our interview in the next hour, in the happy hour. And, of course, the whole thing will be available on our podcast, GuyBensonShow.com, available for free every day when the show's over. One other component on the economy. Earlier in the week, we were talking to Mara Lyason from NPR, and she was discussing one of the strange dichotomies in the current economic environment in the United States, where there's obviously so much discontent and pain driven by inflation, obviously, when the price of virtually everything is way up from where it was a year ago and wages and wage growth is outpaced and consumed and then some by inflation and real wages and real incomes actually come down as a result because the buying power is less for families and individuals, that is going to lead to a lot of unhappiness for good reason. Inflation is pernicious, it's a tax, it is regressive, and based on the data we got this week, it is getting worse in some very significant ways, and certainly not getting better in meaningful ways, and we're near 40-year worsts already. But Mara Lyson made the point, on the other hand, even though you look at the polling, people are very unhappy with the economy, wrong track, they give Biden and the Democrats low marks on the economy, so on and so forth. The job picture overall has been pretty good. And some of the jobs reports in recent months have beaten expectations or met them. And the labor market is tight. You know, there are certain elements of the economic picture that aren't as bad. And so how do you sort of reconcile some of this? Part of the worry is if we get into a more biting recession than the technical recession that we're already in, does that then start to disintegrate a little bit and do the bright spots get darker? That's entirely possible. But for now, it's interesting to see the White House and the administration out there bragging about jobs and low unemployment and all of it because, and it's a point that we have made multiple times before, and we're going to keep making it because it's true, when you look at where the jobs are being created and who is leading on the job creation and economic front, it is overwhelmingly red states led by Republicans who are pursuing policies that are exactly the opposite of what the Biden administration is trying to do at a national level. Right. So a lot of things are going poorly. One of the bright spots, the Biden people want to point at it and take credit, like, look at this over here. You're welcome. Look at this great thing that Dark Brandon's doing. And then when you look at the actual data on a state by state level, it becomes very clear. These are Republican policies that are working despite the failures of the Biden administration in red states. So, for example, based on the August state by state numbers that are just out. When it comes to job recovery post-pandemic, of the top 10 states in job recovery, nine of them are red states. Utah, Idaho, Texas, Florida, Arizona, Montana, Georgia, Arkansas, Tennessee. Of the top 18 states with the lowest unemployment rates, 15 are led by Republican governors. And 14 have Republican-controlled legislatures. These are not accidents. These are not coincidences. And the White House and the Democrats don't want you to really think about that. But I do. I think you should. We'll take a break. We'll come back. Final hour of the Guy Benson Show is coming up Fridays with Kat. 
Kat Timp is here, back from her honeymoon. We'll talk about it straight ahead. It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. Happy Hour time on this Friday. Happy Friday. Almost of the weekend together. Thank you for listening. Between 3 and 6 p.m. Eastern every weekday, 5 to 6 Eastern is the happy hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Fantastic. I might get some for a tailgate tomorrow at a football game. TheLongDrink.com is their website. Always drink responsibly. 21 plus only. TheLongDrink.com. They are now virtually everywhere and still expanding. Our website here, GuyBensonShow.com podcast is free on demand every single day you can catch that if you ever miss anything here as we air live and also we have bonus benson on the weekends so guybensonshow.com foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts you can follow us on social media at guy benson show on both twitter and instagram joining us now from our new york headquarters is our friend and colleague kat temp fox news contributor co-host of gutfeld Every weeknight at 11 p.m. Eastern, Fox News Channel. Also co-host of the Tyrus and Timph podcast, available at foxnewspodcast.com. Kat, hello. Last time we saw each other, we were in Greece. I know. We sure were. Did you have a good time in Greece? Of course I did. You saw me have a good time. I'm just <laughs> asking for the audience, Kat. Just cut me some slack here. Give me a break. I had a great time. <laughs> One night, I found out the next day... You and my husband oh, yeah. stayed up for hours yeah, hanging was, out. I was going to say, your husband is a fun guy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Big He's fantastic. Fan. Yeah, uh, it was great. Well, we because uh, obviously I closed the door of our suite, mining cam suite. Didn't know that it locked on its own. Yes. So we were locked out, and uh, <laughs> it was bad, and Cam went to bed. But I was in party prison, which I will explain for the listeners who don't know what party prison is. It's when you want to stop partying and go to bed, but you can't because you're too hyped up. And I was like, I'm in party prison. What do I do? Your husband was there for me. He was there to be my cellmate in party prison. (laughs) And we were up for hours. We were on the roof. We had a great time. And then we went. I had to go sleep on, like, the couch outside your guys' room because we didn't have anywhere to go. But as we got back, I'll remember this. As we got back and... He was, you know, coming into your guys' room. You just went, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was, I'm sure I was asleep. I've been asleep yeah. for hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was like, this was like 3.30 in the morning. Uh, and we'd been, obviously, that was the same day we had the boat day, right? So we'd, it was a we'd long had day. a long day of activities. Yes. And <laughs> you must have been drinking for the better part of like 16 consecutive hours. It was a hours lot of hours. I know. Like it was that. a lot of hours. But if I'm, tr- I'm now like trying to piece together these fragments of memory because you had <laughs> accidentally locked yourself out of your living quarters, you yes. and Cam. So you had to wait to the next day for like the team from the villa to come and let you guys in. And so we had said in our little sleeping area, there's a living room attached to it. If you guys wanted to sleep there, you could. And I guess for a while you did. Were you... 
Were you climbing through a window? Correct. Well, because of your sigh, I was like, I better not bother this dude anymore. <laughs> so I was, I wanted to, you know, protect the friendship. So at one point, I was on the couch and uh, outside in the living room, and then there's another couch by. Uh, right off your guys' room. So Cam was on the couch off your guys' room, and I came on the couch outside, and then he texted me. He's like, babe, I miss you. So he came to come cuddle with me until we realized that the couch was not big enough for us to cuddle on it. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go on the other couch. So I didn't want to go through your room because it was all a joint, so I was crawling out of the... I crawled into the window (laughs) so as not to disturb the sleeping conservative radio host. I, I I (laughs) I want to clarify for the record that... If I was sighing, it was probably just a yawn. It was not any sort of, like, expression of exasperation directed at you or anyone else. Just so you know. Yeah, well, again, and then the next room, my alarm went off the next morning. Oh, that I and remember. Then, and then you it were went like, off what forever. is that? And I was like, it's mine, okay? I'm locked down. I don't have any of my stuff, and I'm doing my best. <laughs> you did say that, and I didn't even know you were in that room. <laughs> because like, I was I, crying, which is a compliment to how considerate I was in my window climbing. Yes, yes, you were it's like a cat burglar, so yeah. to speak. Uh, and I didn't know you were there, so I, I thought it was, like, had Adam left something over there, or maybe it was Cam, so I was like, what is that? Because it kept going off over and over again, and then it was your voice that came back, and I was like, what is happening right now? And everyone survived, and then uh, you guys stayed, I think, what, one more day, we had taken off, and then, very exciting, you and Cam finally went on your honeymoon, yes. because we were at your wedding last year, at the home of Dr. Drew, who I saw yesterday on an airplane. He was on my flight, and yes. he said hello, and he was super, super nice. He's the best. And he's so kind, and we were talking about you guys, obviously, and that you had just gotten back from your honeymoon, which was delayed. Tell us about what you did for, what was it, like two weeks after Greece, it right? It was great. It was like a week and a half. I mean, so we each got to pick another. We decided to pick each one place to go, and one of us picked Tuscany, and Florence, and one of us picked Berlin, and you can guess <laughs> probably who chose what, which is actually like the perfect description of our marriage and the separate people that we are. So, like, he wanted to be under the Tuscan sun, yeah, have some good wine, food. eat some good Italian food, and then you wanted to be in nightclubs till four a.m. Yeah, four a.m. is is early. Uh, it was there, which was yeah, that was actually great because in Berlin, people like go out like midnight's early to go out in Berlin. So we Ugh. accidentally wound up back on East Coast time. By just doing things <laughs> the way that they do things in Berlin. So I actually wasn't jet-lagged at all coming back. Oh, so that's that's the uh, the life hack. Yeah, it's wanna, a life hack. If you want to avoid jet-lag on your way back to the United States, just party all night and in sleep Berlin. during the day. That's all, yeah, it, that's, that's all that's, that it requires. Yeah, I mean, we did this stuff, too. We you know we went and saw the wall and check, you know, Checkpoint, Checkpoint Charlie, Charlie and all of those things. So we didn't just... We didn't just go to clubs, but we did go to clubs. <laughs> because- I do want to just say, because you were not, like, sheepish about it, but you were kind of joking, like, oh, he wants to go to this awesome place on our honeymoon, and I'm dragging us to Berlin. Just to convey to you and to anyone listening, I think both are awesome. Like, yeah. in a heartbeat, I would go back to Tuscany. In a heartbeat, I would go back to Berlin. Berlin, I have to say, I, I had not high expectations the first time that I went. And it ended up being my favorite stop on the trip. I love that city. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I mean, you also can't get better people watching. There was one of the days where we just, you know, you can you can grab beers. You get a beer and just you drink beer on the street. 
we, we just got beers and we were just drinking beer, walking around, just watching people. Uh, because it's like, that's like, I kept saying this, that Berlin is what like Brooklyn, like Bushwick wants to be. It's, it's weirdos, but these in Berlin, these are real weirdos. They're, it's authentic. They, yeah, they're authentically strange. They're not just, okay, yeah, you know, I graduated with an art degree that my parents paid for, and they pay for my rent for my townhouse, and check out my septum piercing. Like, these are truly strange people. <laughs> uh, and it, it, you just walk around and watch it. It's, you can be entertained just by the city. Um, and there is a lot of the history there, and it is almost kind of creepy to be there. Yes. Uh, because of everything that happened there, and you know, it was right, yeah, all bombed like, out. You know, you know, roughly you know. the 30s throughout the entire Cold War. Yeah, exactly. So it, it was kind of an eerie place to be, and it's just, you know, Tuscany is so beautiful, and it's sunny, and Berlin was colder. It was gray. Uh, you know, just weirdos. That's perfect um, for you. I loved it. I really, really loved it. Um, but yeah, there, it was. It, we wanted to do three different things, and you could not get more, you know, because obviously... Uh, Greece, I'm in a bathing suit every day. Uh, and then, you know, Tuscany's like, okay, I'm wearing like the long flowy dresses. I'm going wine tasting. I'm eating pasta, uh, going to bed early. And then you, then Berlin is Berlin. <laughs> I've never and been anywhere like it. The Germans can really party. Yes. And they definitely drink. I remember so on that aforementioned trip, we were in Prague as well. And our friends were there and they have a German cousin who's probably at the time like, maybe 50, I want to say. And we all got to Prague together. This was years ago. And we were, it was like 11 a.m., okay? It was it was pre-lunch. And this guy, the German guy, wanted to drink shots of schnapps mm-hmm. at 11 a.m. And yeah. I did not want that. I was not interested. <laughs> I don't I want that at market. any time of day. I was not. <laughs> so we were on the roof of this hotel, and this guy's trying to, like, get us to all do this, and I don't want to. And I just sort of look at the waiter, and I'm like, you know what? Because I wanted to at least show that I was fun and have a drink. So I said, you know what? I'll just have a beer. And the German guy looked at me with this look of total contempt. And he said, not even joking, he goes, ugh. Beer is a drink for children and pregnant ladies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that and that is definitely sort of they drink lots of it in that country. So much. An alarming and then they amount. do so much stuff later into the evening is is what I've heard allegedly. I was just drinking beer like water. The because the, there's like there was not it was more available than water. Like you go <laughs> into any of the random cheaper. like corner stores and there's a whole wall of beer options and then there's like at the bottom, there's just, like, these sad, bent, dilapidated water bottles that are, like, covered in dust. <laughs> no one wants <laughs> Nobody's drinking any water. <laughs> I remember, like, uh, two days ago, I was like, have I had water? Like, have I actually had a glass of water? So I made sure to, to rectify that. I've never drank more beer in my entire life as I did when I was in Germany. And the Overall, food is good. The, actually, the, I think the food was, as long as you're not eating, like, too much just, like, straight-up German food over and over again, they have lots of different options. It was great. It, it's not going to be Greece. It's not going to be Italy, right. with all due respect to the Germans. But I think it is perhaps better than it used to be. But overall, are you pleased with the honeymoon? Was it great? Did it live up to expectations? I had such high expectations, and it exceeded all of my oh. expectations. It oh, was love so it. great, you know? And we never got sick of each other for even one second. So I had, like, cam withdrawal coming back and coming back to work. I was like, where's cam? Isn't that so gross? A- according to you, I got sick of you 
before your husband did yeah. on this trip. Yeah, well, I didn't I want dispute. to upset you. I, got, I, I was, disputed. I was making, I was like, I'm doing my best. <laughs> <laughs> so let's bring it back. Were you still in Europe when the queen died or were you home already? I was, I was still in Europe. So do you have a take on this situation? Are you a Royals watcher? Are you a Royals hater? I don't even know. I'm not either one of those things. Uh, I had a cam had to talk me down from tweeting a joke after she oh. died. Uh oh. But I, I wasn't bad. Okay, I'll just say it. I just wanted to quote tweet a death announcement and say, "OMG, what happened?" That's all I wanted to do because obviously what happened was she was 96 years old. Mm-hmm. And he said, "No, you can't do that," and I didn't. Yeah, I think that was probably the best counsel you could have gotten in the moment. I understand where you were going with it. And it's it's solid, but just in that moment, I think death jokes about prominent people are perhaps best shared privately among very trusted or on the radio or a national radio audience uh, several I mean, days later. Well, yeah, I mean, look, it's I get that it's a super s- sad emotional thing for people in a way that I can't understand because I'm not British. Yes, right? I'm not. Yes, so. fair. You know, because like, you know, figurehead and she's been so consistent and so constant for so many years. And I think given what her responsibilities were, she was excellent at them. And she had sort of uh, garnered a lot of affection and goodwill over the decades. And I think many Americans feel that, too. But it's not as intense as it is over there. We're still am I correct? We're still three days away from the funeral. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, this has been it has been a lot. I think it's fair to say. Have you seen these lines, like 12 hours, 14 hour yeah. lines, just to like, walk by the coffin? Would you? What would you wait in line 14 hours for in life, period? Anything? My, my husband. Would you even? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a very sweet answer. I that mean, like actually, if I wasn't going to see him later, but yeah. That is a, a delightfully – Sweet answer. I'm even more in love than I was before. It's so bad for my brand, but it's true. Yeah, it's like this is way too happy, Cat. I know. It's way too touchy feely. I'm I'm concerned. Can we get a can we double check this is Cat? I can't see her from our radio studio here. It sounds like her. Yeah. Um but like is there, for example, your absolute favorite celebrity ever dies? Or is playing a last show or whatever it might be. Would you wait 14 hours outside in a line for that? I'm just trying to, like, figure out how I would make that calculus myself. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I went – I mean, I don't know if I'd wait 14 hours. I might actually for, like, Paul McCartney. Okay. I mean, I, I think there's – Something out there for everyone that they would wait that long for. Very quickly, Kat, last question. I had to ask you about this. I saw a story. New York Post wrote about it. A supposed study, quote-unquote, says that glasses make people look less intelligent and less attractive. I think this is nonsense to begin with. But this is like fighting words for you. Yeah, it's also like I'm living proof that it's not true. I mean, (laughs) like I'm a six without my glasses, and I'm a solid ten when I'm wearing them. (laughs) So, like, plus, I mean, they gave me a career. The first time I was on Fox, I didn't have glasses on. They didn't call me back. And then when I wore my glasses on Fox, I had an email on my way home. Like, what are you doing next weekend? So, you know, they're wrong. Yes, I think you are proof positive that this study is incorrect. Kat Timpf, Fox News contributor, co-host of Gutfeld, 
fresh off of her very exciting honeymoon. Congratulations again, Kat, to you. And Cam, I'm thrilled that you guys had such a great time. Thank you. And with that, on a very strangely lovely note, we'll take a break and come back on the happy hour. It's The Guy Benson Show. The Guy Benson Show. It is the happy hour here on The Guy Benson Show. Happy to have you all along. And we were just chatting a little bit with Cat Temp about these long lines, or queues as they call them in the UK, of people waiting to pay their respects to the Queen. And I guess they had to cap them because they were five miles long, 12, 14 hours people were waiting. And I understand it. I understand that desire and to sort of pay respects and send her off. Christine, I have to ask you, if you were over there, let's say as a tourist right now, would you brave the lines? Would you queue up and wait that long for this experience or maybe not so much? Not so much. No. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with, with all respect. Right? Yes, and of we, course. we pay tribute to her here and all of that. I just think that's. That's a long period of time. But a lot of folks over there, prominent people are doing it. You were telling me some very well-known faces just you know, standing there outside with everyone else hour after hour after hour, right? Yes, and our very own Martha McCallum. I think they said her yep. and her team were over seven hours waiting. They did. Yep, they did it. And I saw the post from her, which is nice. And she's covered the queen and her family so much that that checks out for me. And then some super famous Brits is my understanding. I think David Beckham was one of them waiting. How interesting must it be to be just like some random person who happens to be directly in front of or behind David Beckham in this line for half a day, right? This is one of the most famous people in your country, and not only do you catch a glimpse of him briefly or get a chance to say one word to him, you're standing within three feet of him for 12 hours. That's got to be a trip. I would totally ask to hug him. I feel like you might get in that line if you happen to be placed right there with David Beckham. Yeah. Okay. All right. You got me. And if Phil Collins was waiting in that line, I would definitely You'd be wait there. with him. Mm-hmm. And Theresa May, I think the former prime minister, she went through not just the private line where MPs could go, but waited the whole time so she could do it on her own. So it's interesting. And uh, we're following it. And the funeral, as we alluded to, is on Monday. We will step aside. We'll take a break. It's the Guy Benson Show back after this. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. We are back on the Guy Benson Show. It's the happy hour on this Friday. And earlier in the program, in our first hour, we had Dagan McDowell here who was part of that Greece trip for Kennedy's birthday. So we've had, what now, 40% of the Fox on-air personalities from that trip just in this hour on the happy hour. Dagan fired up as she so often is when we chatted earlier. Here's a little bit of that exchange. Dagan, I want to ask you about economic stuff, inflation as well. But first, I opened the show on immigration and this big fight that's happening right now. And honestly, I'm just blown away by the seething anger on the left, having their own policy failures thrown in their faces and forcing them to look at what they're doing and get a taste of what they're wreaking at the southern border. And 
they like they can't process it. They are very angry. They are furious. They truly mm-hmm. seem to believe, or at least they're saying, that the bad guys here, the, the villains are the Republicans as usual, and they're the good guys. And I just don't necessarily think that's how this plays for a bunch of people who have been ignoring this humanitarian crisis that their policies have caused for the last two years. The Democrats have been embarrassed by Governor Abbott, by Governor Governor DeSantis, and this is their only outlet, albeit they're hysterical and off base, but it's their only outlet for that embarrassment and their rage. They've gone both hyperbolic and hypocritical. Yes. And so for I love how the word the words human trafficking all of a sudden start coming up and yeah, every right. Democrat is using them. I don't know who the first was. Um, it's just whom, whomever got the talking points first. Maybe it was Senator Bob Menendez. Hillary Clinton called it literally – she said literally human trafficking, moving migrants to Martha's Vineyard. I don't want to hear a word from any of these people because those migrants got a cold welcome from the people of Massachusetts. It was how it was it even 24 hours before they were moved off the island and moved to Joint Base Cape Cod. Yeah, they all got to it, congratulate themselves for one day of hospitality, and then the problem's gone. And bye bye, onto the buses you go, right. and good luck. Why, if, 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 if it was reversed and it was Republicans, those Republicans would have been called by Democrats xenophobic and racist for not welcoming those illegal immigrants. <laughs> well, I mean, even the, though you've got these red states that have been absorbing wave after wave after wave every single day of this stuff, and none of these people – care at all about that they've said nothing about it and then you know you and i and i saw someone responding to you on social media i've gotten a bunch of responses really vitriolic responses more so than usual from lefties the last couple days because i am defending abbott defending desantis putting this up and they're like you hate migrants you're for human trafficking you're a racist as a white person they are going into their usual bag of tricks and it's unresponsive dagan to the actual point We have been angry from moment one that migrants who do want a better life are risking their lives and paying human traffickers to get here. We've been angry from day one because of the harm being done to those migrants, the 750 who've died, a border that is the most dangerous in the world, according to the United Nations. We've been angry from day one at the hardship placed on border communities and states, the financial burden put on those communities and those states, and the the thousands of people who are dying of fentanyl overdoses and poisonings. So this administration has intentionally laid the foundation for human traffickers and drug traffickers to profit from human misery. And they haven't done, not only said anything about it, the left and the Democrats, but they haven't done anything about it, and they've allowed it to happen. And now they're upset, and they're calling it human trafficking when Joe Biden was loading illegal migrants onto planes and yep. flying them up to New York and other yep. states under the cover of night because they didn't want to get busted. And here's another story. The only reason we know about that is because of the New York Post because they got tipped off by the people working at the airport now at Westchester County. And L- Lawrence That's, Jones and a human crew trafficking? from Fox – 
Right, exactly. And then Lawrence Jones and a crew from Fox News went out to the airport and started following a bus of those migrants. And you know what um, DHS did? They called the state troopers in New Jersey to stop a Fox News crew from following the bus. So they were using resources from the state of New Jersey to um, prevent a news organization from reporting on the treatment of illegal migrants. They know – all their anger is related to they're embarrassed and they are have been exposed as being completely heartless when it comes to the plight of people in border communities and illegal migrants because of the policies of Joe Biden. Yeah, that that's that's it. And the thing is, Dagan, I would be willing to, you know, I see some people digging into the weeds on this particular transfer of 48 people to Martha's Vineyard and how did this happen? I'm not willing to say every single thing I think was like totally above board and perfect, but I'm also like, to me, that is missing the point. The entire point here is you guys created this. You don't want to deal with the ramifications. That's for other people to deal with. And then when people force you to deal with the ramifications of your policy decisions, then you then you lose your minds. And what I like about DeSantis is he is clearly leaning into the fight. Not only has he and Governor Abbott brought the issue of the border crisis to the fore because everyone else has been ignoring it, burying it, hoping it wouldn't become a big issue in the campaign. They've forced this conversation, and DeSantis is not uh, taking any of this lying down. Here he was just a little while ago today in Cut 35. Listen to this. the end of the day, this is a massive policy failure by the president. This is a massive and intentional policy uh, that is causing huge amount of damage all across the country, and it's all rooted in a failure to take care that the laws are faithfully executed and to fulfill his oath of office. And so instead of scrambling and worrying about a bunch of rich people and having 50, and oh, by the way, they already bust them out. They're gone. They said they said we want everyone, no one's illegal, and they're gone within 48 hours. Uh, and so why not actually look at what's going on? There were more Acela corporate journalists in Martha's Vineyard today than have ever gone down to the southern border to look what's going on. Why don't you go down there and look what some of those communities have to deal with every day? I think it's such a good point about the journalists and the amount of attention paid to Martha's Vineyard when they are like practically allergic to going to the border or talking about the actual crisis itself or the reasons that it's happening. But they all go rushing up because here's an opportunity to be like, you know, outrage resistance journalists. My full interview with Dagan McDowell, our Fox colleague, available at GuyBensonShow.com. Podcast is free, on demand every single day. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, wherever you get your free podcasts, including Bonus Benson on the weekends. When we come back, it's the home stretch. Producer Christine had never heard of a restaurant. It's a very well-known chain all across the country. She had never heard of it. Quiet Wyatt brought this to her attention and then my attention, and we will get into that next. For the full interview and more, go to GuyBensonShow.com. Home stretch, Friday edition, as the weekend beckons. GuyBensonShow.com, that's our online home here, podcast free every day. And tonight I am... Back on the road, if you can believe it. Just got in. I think I got into my bed at like 1.45 a.m. 
last night or early this morning. And then I was up to join Varney on Fox Business Network. I was on sometime in the 9 o'clock hour. It was just not a huge amount of sleep, but it's okay. It's just a, a big home stretch, if you will, toward an election. So I had an event in L.A., and then I'm going to Chicago tonight. I'll squeeze in a football game tomorrow. Hopefully the Cats can bounce back from their annual loss to Duke. Woof. I think they should win tomorrow. If not, I'll be in quite a foul mood. And then on to Wisconsin, where I have an event and a speech early next week. I'll be doing the show from the Badger State for a couple of days. And, of course, Wisconsin is home to a very competitive governor race. We've had the Republican nominee here, Tim Michaels, on the show. And a crucially important and very close Senate race with Senator Ron Johnson seeking re-election. And he was just on the show a few days ago. So I'll be talking to some folks on the ground in Wisconsin and will report back. In the meantime, we were on our call today getting ready for the show. And we were debating what to do in the home stretch segment. And often we have different ideas. And then, not infrequently, Dan or Wyatt will just mention something that Christine had said to them without me present. And then that becomes the topic. Because I feel like Christine was trying to keep it from me. And it's quite interesting or intriguing. And then it's like the cat's out of the bag, and so we're going to go on air with it. So in this case, what's the backstory here? Wyatt, were you in New Jersey and you went to a Waffle House? What what happened here? You went to Waffle House at some point. Was it yesterday? Yeah, guys. So I went to Waffle House last night in Maryland, of all places, and I was talking to Christine about it, and she just has never heard or has been to a Waffle House. All right. We need to unpack quite a few things here. But first, did you stop at a Waffle House because you were passing it on the way to somewhere and you were hungry? Or did you seek out a Waffle House? And if so, how far did you travel to go to said Waffle House? Well, I was with a friend, and we were already outside of the Beltway of D.C., and it was only we were hungry, and so there, there was a few different options. Like we were kind of in the mood for that kind of you know home-cooked Cracker Barrel-type meal, and we looked at Cracker Barrel, and we saw that there was a Waffle House, and there was also one of those uh, – I know we talked about this not too long ago – Zaxby's? Zaxby's, yeah. Yes. That was a, a consideration, but we both agreed I think Waffle House would be really good right now. So it was only – a 25-minute more out of the direction of where we were going, but we did it, and it was well worth it. All right, so like almost an hour-round trip to go divert to Waffle House, and you say it's worth it? 100%. I mean, you don't okay. get that here in D.C., so it was a, it was a good little treat. Okay, so I'm going to sort of straddle both sides of this fence here, where, number one, of course I've heard of Waffle House. Like, they're everywhere. This is a huge thing. They're famous for always staying open no matter what. Like natural disasters, everything. The Waffle House remains open. 24-7 is just what they do. And I have driven past countless Waffle Houses through the years. Mary Catherine Hamm, my best friend, is something of an aficionado, perhaps you could say, of Waffle House. That being said, I personally have not been to one. I've been to Cracker Barrels, of course. I've been to any number of these chains. Waffle House just isn't something that I have sought out or gone to, probably because of the name, Waffle House. I don't like waffles. I've been through this. I'll just say it again. 
And just trigger warning for people who might be new listeners and don't know this is my hot take on food. I despise waffles, pancakes, French toast, all of it. I call it wet, hot sugar bread, and I do not like it at all. So the fact that it's known for waffles, it is called Waffle House, it's like IHOP, right? Like International House of Pancakes, I don't like pancakes. I'm not going to go there. Now, I have been to an IHOP or two, but waffles, I'm out. So nothing against the chain. It is an institution that people love. I don't really know what the reputation is for how good their food is versus it's constantly open and convenient and affordable. I don't know. So Wyatt has now been to one and loved it. I've heard of them, obviously, but have not been to one. And Christine, you had never heard of the Waffle House until Wyatt told you about one today? I don't think it's obvious that people know what the Waffle House is. Really? I I I'm a I travel. I've been all over this country and I've never ever seen a waffle house before. Ever. I don't think that's right. It is no I, maybe it's not right, but it's true. They have more than two thousand locations around the country. Never, in twenty five states. Never seen one. Never passed one, never seen one, never been to one. Um I think you've absolutely at least seen one, but you just don't remember or you weren't paying attention. I think almost by accident you'd have to have seen one somewhere at some point. I haven't. <laughs> I don't know how else to tell you. I've and not seen a Waffle House. never heard of it. I, you know what? Once he said it, no, it did not ring a bell to me. I was like, what's Waffle House? Like, why would you, what is that? But once I Googled it mm. and I saw the yellow, like, yeah, uh, yeah, then I was like, oh, okay. Maybe I've heard about it from a story, you know, like something in the news. Possibly, but yeah. um, no, nope, never seen one, never been to one. There, I know they're not in New Jersey, New York. I looked. Well, I think it's probably because in Jersey in particular, you've got a very robust diner scene, right? And so you're going to probably pick your local diner over a Waffle House. Although, I don't know, some people in New Jersey go to Domino's to get Hawaiian pizza with pineapples on it as opposed to excellent world-class pizza at the local joint like you. So maybe you would give up on diners and just go to Waffle House. I I doubt that. And it's not that I give up on local pizza places. Mm. It's just that Domino's does a fantastic pizza with pineapple and bacon. So when I want something like that, that's where I go. If I want breakfast, and you are so wrong about waffles and pancakes and French toast, it is the best. I, I think I want breakfast for dinner tonight. Uh, but, I mean, you can't beat a Jersey diner, especially, I mean, come on, the disco fries alone. Is that your go-to order at a diner, disco fries? It used to be after, like, a night of um, clubbing. Is that and what we established that disco fries is poutine, right? I mean, it's disco fries. Poutine. But commonly known. Nobody says that. That's another thing. Before you, never heard of that before. Mm. I think we could maybe, we might have to do a poll. We might have to do a poll on, in fact, Wyatt, let's get a photo of some poutine. Can you stop saying it, that? We're going to put it on, it's what it's called. And we're going to do a poll Disco fries. on Twitter. What is this? And we'll give the two options and we'll see what America has to say. I think that's, let's, let's line that up. 
I will retweet it. So it's at Guy Benson Show on Twitter, at Guy P. Benson, and we'll just see what the people decide. We could do a subsequent, maybe follow-up poll. Have you ever heard of a Waffle House? And see how that one goes for producer Christine. Well, I think that now you're kind of making fun of me. And this is why I didn't want to do this topic. And I think I expressed this. What did I say I in the meeting? I am making fun of you. You said, don't make you look stupid. And I said, I would never do such a thing. I simply ask questions here. Right? I report. You respond. They decide. I don't think it's that far-fetched that someone in New Jersey doesn't know what a Waffle House is. Okay. Well, I know I know what a Cracker Barrel is, but I didn't know up in, before like maybe five years ago. But I know what a Cracker Barrel, barrel is, and it, it's cute. It's cute. But, have you been to one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but it's not like I wouldn't seek out a Cracker Barrel over a local Jersey diner. It just wouldn't okay. happen. Yeah. Uh, as I've said before, I think the Cracker Barrel, for me, is a place that you stop on long road trips. And they all look exactly the same inside and out. There's just exactly the same layout. We got to run. I am off to the heartland, heading out tonight up to Wisconsin early next week. We will do the show from there. Talk to you then. Have a fabulous weekend. Stay sane. Stay safe. It's The Guy Benson Show. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.